HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures, a five-generation Georgia-based beef and poultry farm determined to conduct business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to The Farm Report. I'm your host, Aaron Fairbanks, and we are coming to you live from the back of Roberta's Pizza on a little bit of a rainy day here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And we're joined in the studio uh, by our good friend, uh, Ben Flanner of the Brooklyn Grange. Welcome to the studio, Ben. Thanks, Aaron. So it's great to have you back. Um, I've been really uh, excited, and it feels like a real privilege to have you on the show. You know, a couple times a year, really keeping track of what's been going on at the farm and as your business and production has expanded in multitude of ways, which some of which we're going to tuck into today. But I thought it would probably make sense to start with uh, a little bit of a, a recap of the 2013 season. It was your fourth growing season. Things are probably on their way to winding down and maybe you can give us um, you know some broad strokes about takeaways from 2013. Sure so so this was the end of our fourth season and we have done a bit of expansion um, so we're still growing into our, our current two and a half acres in, in a little bit because it was actually our first full season with with a little over half our farm but it, it's been a great season we, we continue to learn every day um, I think one of the things that we really focused on in the spring and continued to have success with throughout the course of the season was really organized succession planting. Um, we, we basically looked at the total crop and said, okay, so what, what percentage of the farm are we going to uh, allocate towards our mixed greens, which is our kind of our bread and butter, like arugula and salad mix and, and spicy mustard greens, and then... Um, planted out the exact same number of square feet of those types of greens every week, every every week throughout the entire summer for like 30, 30 uh, weeks during the growing season. And that made that made things really uh, consistent coming out of the ground as we were putting them into the ground on a very consistent basis. And it really kind of took us to the next level in terms of um, having 100% consistency. Well, not 100, 90, 99%. <laughs> <laughs> consistency with... Uh, uh, you know, with our customers uh, so they could start relying on us and so forth as well. 
Um, also, the our, our training program has really been blossoming. Uh, we continue to uh, be, be really impressed and, and super excited about the people that the farm attracts. People are coming now from all over the world um, consistently. Uh, we, we had two Australians, Mike and Asher, that really just brought a whole lot of love and energy to the farm. And um, uh, people from uh, a guy from Martin from Belgium and um, somebody from Denmark just in the last couple of months. And, and they show up and uh, sometimes without even really sort of like announcing themselves. <laughs> and uh, obviously that, that makes for some adventures, but it also has really sort of allowed the farm to blossom into its own kind of uh, identity in terms of that we have these open doors and these people are coming in here. And that's really a large part of what makes it so fun to get up in the morning every day while, while we're touching certain people from around the world and teaching people about farming and uh, eating well and so forth while we're going about our daily work of growing and selling those vegetables. So I want to give, uh, for folks who uh, are not as familiar and for folks who haven't been up to date on the latest changes, maybe we can do a little bit of kind of some nuts and bolts. So let's talk about like the size and location of the farm. Sure. So we're a rooftop farm. (laughs) It's on a green roof system. So all the engineering for the weight structure and the drainage, that's all taken care of by something that we call a green roof. And then on top of that, we have about more or less a foot of compost uh, blended with lightweight stones. So it's like a lightweight uh, soil, essentially. And at that point, it's, it's basically, it has a lot more similarities to growing in the ground than it has differences um, in terms of how we... Um, amend the soil with compost and fish emulsions and things like that, how we do our soil tests and things like that. Um, But uh, just to take one step back, so we have two farms. One is one acre and the other is an acre and a half. And those green roofs are on top of them. And they're entirely covered with these green roofs and with the soil. And we grow and sell commercially vegetables on top of those roofs. So how many people um, work at the farm? Uh, we have six full-time now. Six full-time and, and then? a couple part-time and then um, a training program, too. And how many people will stay on the kind of payrolls throughout the, the full year? Uh, that's the six. That's the six. Yeah. Okay. And then I know people always want to know, uh, are you or- certified organic? We are not certified organic, but we practice organic principles. We don't use any chemical pesticides or sprays. And for us, the, the marketing advantage isn't really there uh, because we're not shipping a long distance away to a grocery store where, where we really benefit from having that sticker on it because all of our customers know us and they know we're not using them. And then when, like to the extent that you can, can you share with us um, an idea of like the volume of produce that's coming off of the farm or maybe yeah. for a particular crop or? It, it's about 50,000 pounds per season, uh, which equates to a little bit over, if you can imagine a square foot, just like picture a little square right below you, 12 inches by 12 inches. It's a little bit over a half pound per, per foot uh, across the whole thing, and it would be closer to a pound per foot of just where you're growing because that has to include walkways too. So how does that compare to a uh, um, more conventional or land-based farm or other like production methods? Are you feeling pretty excited about that number or...? Yeah, we're definitely feeling excited about it. And, and, you know, for us, it's like a a massive gain if we can go from 0.6 pounds per foot to 0.65 or something like that. But remember also that there's more to the equation than just looking at that number because it also depends on what you're growing, um, how intensively you're growing uh, certain types of vegetables, way more, partially because they have probably more water in them too. 
Um, in terms of comparisons with other farms, uh, there's lots of different sort of levels to look at it because, um, you know, the, uh, just to think of the, the, the types of crops that have the most data available for them are probably the most industrial, uh, where there's like a pretty clear cut return on investment in business case, like if you're planting out a thousand acres of corn at a time or something like that. Um, and then obviously what we're doing is intensive vegetables. So we're going to have a lot higher yields on a per acre, per square foot basis, partially because we're just really optimizing the land. Um, because land is always our constraint. So being that we have two and a half acres up on rooftops uh, in an urban setting, um, you know, we're, we're closer to the distribution system. We can harvest the plants and get them to the people right away. And our constant challenge uh, is always going to be to grow as much super high-quality product as we can with that space. Whereas if we had hundreds of acres at our disposal, then we might not feel quite as pressed to optimize the acreage, and our constraint might actually be a different type of thing, such as labor or uh, you know just the time to get out there and harvest everything that you planted or something like that. Um, and there's not as much data available uh, in terms of like small, we call it a market vegetable operation where you're growing for a market and you're growing lots of different varieties and things like that. So there's really not as much data available, but I, we feel like we're, we're doing well at it. And, and as I said, we, we uh, push ourselves to, to improve every year. We're not, we're not uh, plateauing yet. That's awesome. So I'm curious, you know, one of the things um, that you often hear farmers talk about is, is you know, the, the care of the soil, managing the nutrient content of the soil. Because you're uh, on a roof, I mean, does that change things in any way? Can you essentially, if you're, since you're farming so intens intensively, I'm going to make the assumption that you're not going to let an area kind of go fallow or plant different crops to, or, or is that not the right assumption? Uh yeah, sort of. We we uh, we cover crop whenever we can, whenever we have gaps in the season, particularly in the fall, and then that that goes through the winter. And we we break that, we till that in, and compost it in the spring. Um, and also, really, the name of the game for us is is compost in terms of uh, adding nutrient and and fertility to the soil. Um, we're always trying to promote biological activity in the soil with microbes and and and. Um, all the, all the tiny things that you can't see, which make the soil healthier, they make it retain more nutrients and also retain uh, more water when, when at the right moments as well. Um, however, I think the biggest difference is that we don't have a subsoil. So if you're looking at, at ground level, um, a, a large percentage of the nutrient comes from the top 12 inches, which is um, fortunately comparable with our situation. But then below that, uh, the roots can go down feet many feet, um, and they pick up tiny trace amounts of, of um, you know, maybe minerals or, or, or nutrient that's down in the subsoil, and there is a little bit of a natural system of bringing it back up. So if you're farming heavily, uh, that by no means does it uh, provide everything you need. So, you know, thus, thus some of the uh, desires for circular systems and, and anybody's providing as much nutrient through manures and compost and green manures and things like that as they can. However, we don't have that ability to tap into that. So uh, we might add a couple hundred pounds each, each season of, of different types of mixed minerals and things like that um, just in dry, dry bags to sort of compensate for, for that not coming. And we also have become pretty diligent about testing. So, you know, we take, we take one or two tests every season and keep an eye on that to make sure that the fertility is where it should be. So looking, uh, you know, as we are winding down this season, what are the things that you do um, to get the farm and the space ready for the winter months here in New York City? And 
Do you have, will you be producing anything on the farm over the next couple of months? Winterizing. Uh, yeah, excitedly. We, we uh, just started experimenting with low tunnels. That's basically a system I, I talked about on one of the reports a few weeks ago. But just to recap it very quickly, it's a system where we took half-inch metal conduit from the hardware store and bent it all very consistently with the pole bender. So each pole, pole was exactly the same shape. And we put them in about four-foot spacing and uh, made some connection points and to anchor it all together. And we're going to put, um, right now we just have a, a row cover over it, but in about a week or two, once it's getting colder, uh, then we'll put plastic over it. It's almost like a tiny little greenhouse. Um, the production will not be massive because the main constraint in the, in the winter, uh, besides temperature, this, so this will help with the temperature, but what it won't help uh, is with sun. And there's significantly less sun power in the middle of the winter, especially as we approach the solstice on December 21st. Uh, it's sort of like a mirror around that. So November, December, January, those are the three lowest amounts of sun. Um, there's just not a lot of energy for photosynthesis and growth to occur. But you can definitely keep things alive, things that would normally be dead uh, through frost and snow and winds and things like that. So we'll basically lift that up a few times through the winter and take some clips out of it and start collecting data to see if we can expand it. So, um, yeah, that, and then the other sort of half of your question with winterizing, <laughs> uh, we've cover cropped, we have clover and winter kill oats um, kind of all over the farm in different uh, locations. We've cut down all the tomatoes, cut down all the peppers, gotten those into the compost piles. Uh, we've left our leafy greens, arugulas and lettuces and things like that in the ground. And um, basically we just sort of, we turn off all the spigots, make sure that things aren't going to freeze and make sure that there's no nothing susceptible to a heavy windstorm because we don't have to feel like we have to run up there to check on things if we get some weather. And just to kind of finish up on the recap from the 2013 season, was there any um, kind of new equipment or infrastructure or build out that you added to the farm year as opposed to you know years past? Uh, yeah, there was actually several. It's been a really fun season for tools. That's that's become one of the passions of mine is researching and sort of saying. Staying hip to the scene on, on new tools for small farmers uh, because there's really not a very um, uh, sort of large market or, or, or uh, infrastructure for it. Uh, but we've been partnering uh, and, well, working with and, and purchasing from the folks at Johnny's. They've, they're probably the leaders of, of the region, at least in, in small farming tools. And um, this is our second year using a, a good cedar from them that really works well with our system. Um, and we got a bed roller, something to very, basically do a very light amount of compaction in it before you use the cedar. Obviously, you don't want to compact it. We're talking uh, a hand tool, um, but it really helps because otherwise we were improvising 55-gallon buckets, like those big drums. We were just rolling those down it, and that's a little rougher on your back. Uh, we got an automated greens harvester, which um, connects to a cordless drill. So it powers off of a cordless drill out in the field, and it can significantly increase the speed at which you harvest, uh, we've, which we've had mixed success with, not not perfect success with. And we also got a tiller, or a tilther, sorry, which is basically like a small rototiller. Uh, it doesn't go super deep, obviously, <laughs> into the roof, and also uh, ha runs off of a cordless drill. So it's been a lot of fun testing those things and really working on the s systems and processes. That's been a big emphasis this season. So the tools and the tech. Um, now I'm curious. You've mentioned a couple times, uh, like a little bit of data collection um, and, and writing things down and being able to kind of have some figures to go back and make decisions on. I'm I'm just curious. Like, is 
in a way, are you kind of adding to the understanding of this type of farming production? I mean, are these notes and things that you are hopeful or willing to kind of share with other folks looking to do similar operations? And like when you go to look around at like what you should be anticipating for yields or changes, are there other information resources like this? Or is it something that you're really kind of leading uh, a leading voice in, in creating a, a written history of this stuff? Yes, definitely. Um, it, it's been an emphasis of, of ours from the start. And as you pointed out, we did just finish our fourth year. So we now have some, some historical data and, and some comparisons, you know, because there's always going to be fluctuations. So we can start actually triangulating a couple different years and coming up with some, some patterns and slightly more significant assumptions with it. Um, it's always been a really big focus of mine to keep keep a tight eye on those, and and um, and it is extremely valuable, and and we definitely look forward to sharing it. We're developing a, a much more organized farm handbook where we have some some snippets of it, and, and we're saving everything. And it's also sort of uh, it's, it's a direction that the farm sort of evolved in. I, I think um, uh, in in a good way that we've been starting to to develop a bit of a reputation around the region as well, obviously as sort of innovators with this new style of farming, but also between the the amount of people that we affect through our social media and all the visitors and the dinners and the events at the farm and things, which we could talk about in a minute. But also um, in in the fact that we're that that we're we're keeping very good eye on the finances and and the sort of the economics of farming. And I'm going to give a a talk at, at the NOFA conference this, this winter on, on the finances of, of our farm and farming in general. And that's stuff that I really look forward to because that can really help carry the industry further. And there's a bit of a vacancy or a vacuum of that in some of the sort of, uh, you, know, you know, the farming uh, education programs and schools and the blogs and, the, you know, the, the things like the, the self-help. There's really not a whole lot on that. And it's obviously so crucial to, to the to the art and the science of farming to yeah, have that and stuff. the success of your business well yeah so i think we can we can hopefully influence the industry in that in a in a much larger capacity stay tuned or sign up to uh, head up to the nofa conference this year and hear ben talk you can check out and learn a little bit more about the farm by visiting www.brooklyngrangefarm.com hang tight we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with ben flanner of the brooklyn grange farm You are listening to Cool Boy by Sleepies on the Heritage Radio Network. Org. Pastures is the only farm in the United States that has its own USDA-inspected red meat abattoir or slaughterhouse and its own USDA-inspected poultry abattoir or slaughterhouse. We partner with Whole Foods to deliver our high-quality meat and poultry from Miami, Florida, all the way to Princeton, New Jersey. One family, one farm, five generations, 145 years. Full circle return to sustainable land stewardship and humane animal stockmanship. For more information, please visit our website, whiteoakpastures.com.
All right, we are back. You're tuned into the Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network. And today we're in studio with the founder of Brooklyn Grange, Ben Flanner. And in the next segment of the show, Ben, I want to talk a little bit about the future. Spaceships, lasers, hoverboards. <laughs> Moons. Moons. Um, well, now one of the things that has been kind of an interesting development for the Brooklyn Grange, and we haven't touched on too much, is you know, you guys are really, you know, you have this business, you have this farm, but you're also really cultivating a real community of folks. I mean, you have the events there, you have yoga classes, you have the refugee program. You know, your identity is really evolving in a, in a pretty interesting way. And I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about, you know, where you see that going and what you're kind of looking to cultivate in the next, you know, you're coming up on your fifth year. It's like a real turning point for any small business. So, any big focuses heading into the 2014 season? Uh, yeah, definitely. It, it's been an interesting sort of an evolution, and I, I joke sometimes that the farm has a life of its own, and it, it, obviously it does because it's teeming with life, but also it attracts life of its own that continues to shape it. And and half of the, the ways that it's evolved have, have not been planned, really. It's just kind of like uh, the, the, way, the way things are, are happening. Um, but but one thing that that's kind of interesting to me that that has just sort of come up on the radar is um, uh, with with the current state of of affairs with um, uh, the the world and dealing with, still with the aftermaths of of the hurricane from last year and everything you see a significant uh, sort of a theme of resilience in our culture and um, I've been to a couple other meetings and and, and talks where where people are, are speaking about resilience and it all it continues to come down to essentially. Um, having systems in place at like policy levels, but what trumps that is is community and have neighbors helping each other and things like that. And um, and I, I think there is a bit of a vacancy right now of of like community hubs and and people knowing their neighbors and things like that. And large of it has to do with the downfall of the church, uh, because the church isn't maybe quite as popular right now or as as frequented as it used to be. Um, and, and that, besides the, the the faith aspect, just speaking of the community, like bringing people together and having people help each other and, and things like that, and uh, the, I think that the, that w- without even trying to, in some ways, what what we're doing is is a little bit filling that void, uh, because I, I hear that from feedback when I talk to people, like you know, try to sit down and say, what, why do you come to the farm? You know, what, what's going on here? What, uh, what what keeps you coming back? Is it the adventure? Is it seeing the plants evolve? Is it seeing the seasons? And, and it's all that stuff, too. But also, um, you know, we see people becoming friends, and, and we have the capacity to hold dozens and dozens of people at a time. It's a big space, you know, and the fire codes uh, allow for us to have a lot of people up there at a time. Um, so, yeah, the everything from the yoga n- on Tuesday nights to the events, um, the weddings that we have, um, and they all touch a different population of people, you know, because if you get you – get, uh, uh, long-haired, long-bearded Australians coming up that want to farm, and they're, you know, they're into that. But then there's also different populations that that want to come to a nice sunset dinner or something like that, and wear dress up and wear heels or something like that. And it's kind of exciting that we can appeal and and also involve all these different demographics at the same time. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So I wanted to clarify the with, with re, you. You talk about the downfall of the church, and you're looking at the church as kind of a regular community meeting place. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm speaking of the church in, in terms of its community side, with with bringing people together. Um, as I said, like not really speaking about the faith or the, or the um, religious aspect of it. Obviously, that's part of the bond that that people have, but also. Um, you know, and I even witnessed it as a as a child with the little bit of church I went to. 
um, with, with people coming together, just, uh, you know, knowing that somebody's in your corner and having a potluck dinner and things like that in the basement. So I, I think that's, that's something interesting that, um, as, as, you know, with the problems, particularly speaking of the Catholic churches, that's, you know, uh, sort of had its better days. <laughs> I'm going to just jump. I'm going to cut you right off. Um, so it, with regards to you as Sorry. like the leader of the organization, you know, there is, uh, I'm just curious, like how intentional you are about the community that you're building and the programming that you're choosing to do, because I, I, I can imagine that you guys are getting way more m- requests than you can say yes to. Um, or at some point, you know, like success is looking like, okay, Hey, we have to kind of, Figure out, you know, what are the spaces that we're going to invest our, our time and, and use our space for? And, and you know, maybe looking forward into the future, what aspects of the, the farm and the farm community are you excited to see grow? And, and what direction do you hope things will flourish in? Yeah, definitely. It's a constant sort of a, um, a struggle of how to spend our time because so much of what we do also with, with activities like after hours and things like that, not all of them are, are revenue-generating streams. And during the day, too, and, and especially with, with taking time for, for workshops and things. So it's, it's a constant challenge, and, it's, and it's, I guess it's just sort of balancing the, 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 sort of the balancing act. Um, we stubbornly want to make sure that we're always putting a lot of good, healthy focus into the farming um, because that is our, our main part of our identity, um, but but it yeah it definitely has grown into to other things and and uh, uh, besides that. And are you? I mean, how t- intentional are you with regards to building uh, diversity? I mean, one of the things that the food movement is often accused of is being uh, elitist or being something that's like precious and special for a limited number of people. You guys have some really interesting programming at the farm that I think works to address that in a pretty intentional way, but maybe you could share a little bit of it and where that uh, energy came from. Right. It, it's a constant struggle and a challenge because uh, the, 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 the price that is built into the, the market for organic produce and, and and, and some of that. And, and that's definitely a, a challenge that we're constantly dealing with. And I think there's still a ton of more room for improvement. But um, yeah, we, we have a, a partnership with a, a refugee program, which we're really excited about, which we love doing. And I think basically it just comes down to having having open doors and also not, um, you know, being elitist. None of us are living lavish lives or anything like that. Um, so I think it, it's just partly a, a, a function of, of, you know, people choose to show up or not show up. Uh, but I think we do have actually some improvements to make in that in that department. Still, it's it's definitely not uh, perfect. Well, nothing is, I guess. You're yeah. like looking at that like north star. Um, so obviously, we just New York City just elected a new mayor, um, and we are all kind of curious to see in what ways um, he will make his mark, in particular on the food community. And I'm I'm curious if you have, you know, any thoughts or if you, you're thinking, you know, open layer, letter to the mayor, like what you would like to see um, that would help kind of the work you're doing at your farm or the community that you're trying to build there, um, any particular areas that jump to the forefront of your mind? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the biggest, one of the biggest sort of uh, aspects of what we're doing, uh, as well as growing the, all the vegetables and everything, is um, trying to have our subtle influence on, on um, making healthy vegetables kind of interesting to people and, and more common on their plates and more common in the decisions they're making. So at that sort of uh, macro level, looking at, at nutrition and diets and people, ways for people to get um, 
their uh, their calories through through more nutritious things. And um, we're not really activists in that front, so so we won't uh, pretend to be. But it is definitely on you know it's a, a goal of ours, and I think something that especially as we're developing a little more of a brand and uh, and a repu- and a presence that that is actually an opportunity, maybe even an obligation. So uh, we, we've become more interested and and more in, involved in in some of these issues. Um, and I think that in the most in the recent years, probably let's just say five to ten year horizon, there's been a lot lots of new things happening with with politicians and and people people near the top starting to understand, especially from the economic standpoint of the healthcare system. Um, but I think it really does continue to it will have to continue to come from from all the people from the bottom of the of the chain essentially, and I think they may they they're going to have to continue to influence the leaders. But I just want the leaders to to listen and, and to understand it, and also to look at it strategically um, in terms of probably how Bloomberg was always looking at things on metrics and things like that, which is probably what led him to even try to make that soda ban. Um, because you saw you saw basically a return in it for the people of New York City and the people of this country if, it, if something like that had happened. So, um, in a blank letter, I would essentially say to just continue to to listen to the people and also to keep your eyes open and also not to be afraid to to take a couple um, bold measures. Excellent. Well, I want to give a little plug for uh, one of your partners at the farm, Anastasia. She does a monthly. Um, radio piece with us called Anastasia's Fridge, a great space to learn about some of the different vegetables that they're producing at the farm, a little bit of history and yep. uh, some great recipes. So definitely Super check cool. that out. And then, you know, we're just about out of time. So my final question, I, I love um, kind of a lot of the writing and thought that comes out of uh, the winter months for, for farmers. Um, and I, I love this idea of the winter crops, like the garden of your dreams that you plant at your kitchen table, drinking yeah. coffee in the morning. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering, you know, kind of what it is you're excited to uh, tuck into over the winter, whether it's, you know, reading some new books or researching or, or kind of organizing stuff from the past season or looking to the next. Like where, where, where are you getting geeked about having a little time, you know, physically off the farm? Right. Well, well, what? What I, I look forward to really starting to scale up, we tested a lot of new seeds this year, not necessarily new varieties, but sort of new sources or, or new tweaks to them. And, and I really look forward to, to starting to scale those up. Um, we also plan to start making more of our own blends. Um, currently, we'll, we'll frequently purchase like a blend of, of similar to f- different types of salad leaves. And then they're, they're maybe all of the same genus, so they grow at the same speed, but then you plant them all together and you harvest them together, but you get some inconsistencies. So if we can start optimizing our, our blends and, and then really take control over what goes in. And then lastly, um, I look forward to having some good team meetings about our distribution system and our sales strategies and like kind of like what goes where and when and how because that's sort of like this endless puzzle for farmers especially when you're dealing with something that's so perishable as vegetables no shelf life it's like they're ready to come out of the ground you got to pick them you got to sell them so uh to to have a really smart organized system with that really can make a a farm a lot more uh, successful or not awesome ben thanks so much for joining us today thanks for having me So, folks, as I said before, if you want to learn more about the farm and keep track of them over the winter, getting geared up for the next season, definitely check out www.brooklyngrangefarm.com. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of The Farm Report. 
This show, like all 30 of our live weekly shows, are available for free. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, um, but I suggest visiting the website, checking out that new homepage. And if you like what you see, please click that Donate tab. Become a member today. We do depend on your support. And at the $120 level, we would love to send you a tote bag. They're pretty sweet. You'll be the coolest kohlrabi-carrying mom in your region. So check it out and stay tuned in. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.